I love that we are not only getting to recite some of these, we're all kind of engaging through these prayer cards, um, but this has just been awesome to kind of see a visual kind of depiction of the emotions and what's going on in the Psalms, and so just a great way to use this gift. So uh, with that, let me pray really quick, and then we're going to get into Psalm 13. Father, thank you. Uh, As Jared just said, God, that we get to come before the God of the universe, uh, the God that was with David when he was writing these psalms thousands of years ago, the God who's been with the church, who's led the church, who's guided the church, who's spoken to the church for thousands of years. God, you're with us here, uh, and we pray that we would feel that presence today, God, that you would speak to us in a unique way. God, I pray that as we come to Psalm 13, you'd give us uh, sharp minds, you'd give us soft hearts, um, that Psalm 13 would guide us and lead us, that you would use it to speak to us, Uh, and ultimately, God, we pray that this morning we would come out of here worshiping you more, that we would understand more of your son, that we would walk closer with your spirit. So we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, When I was in college, uh, there was the couple months after I'd become a Christian, I, I went and spent a summer in Beijing, China. And so I, I was living there for a couple months. And I don't know if you guys have, have traveled much or like over an extended period of time, in a, either in a new city or a new country. Uh, and there's kind of this progression that you have on kind of your comfort level with getting around a new city. Maybe you guys experienced this. So for, for us, maybe for some of you, the, the first couple days that you get into a new place, uh, you're a little hesitant, right? You're pretty dependent on other people. You don't know street signs. You don't know how to get around. You don't know routes at all. Uh, but slowly over the couple weeks, you, you begin to pick some things up and you begin to notice some landmarks. You begin to know, okay, this is where the grocery store is. This is where the essential things are. And so for us, that took a few days where we were staying in the middle of Beijing and we're in this like hostel there and, and we knew kind of the essentials. So we knew the, the route a couple blocks to get to the grocery store. We knew the route to get to our favorite restaurant and we knew the route to get to the subway station. And that's pretty much it. And they were all kind of in this direction. Well, we were staying at the hostel and somebody that was staying there told us that if if you go the other direction, there was this cool like shopping district kind of area. And so a couple of us thought it'd be awesome to go and check this out. And so because we'd been there for three or four days, we thought we kind of had this thing down in Beijing. And so we decided we're going to go. And so we, we took off a few of us. And we're walking there, and it, I, I swear to you, it only took maybe like two blocks and like a couple minutes. We make like one or two turns, and all of a sudden we started to get that sense of like, okay, wait, where did he say this was again? And we're kind of getting out there, and you know, like good American college student tourists, we decided, well, if we just keep going, I think we'll probably figure it out. So we decided just to keep on walking and make a few more turns, and, and all of a sudden, and you know, we're Beijing, so this is like, kind of Asia busy is different than here. Like there's people literally everywhere. It's packed, buildings are smashed together. It is insane. And uh, we go about 15 minutes, and it starts to get really bad. Like, there's that pit in your stomach. Like, I, I really don't know where I am at this point. And, and all of a sudden, I mean, believe it or not, street signs, they ain't in English in Beijing. And people, they don't speak English. And so we're literally walking around, and we're starting to realize, okay, not only are we lost, but we don't know how to read street signs. We can't speak to anybody. We don't have phones, and we literally don't know any route where to go. Like, we don't know how to get back. We don't know how to go forward. We're just completely lost, and we're standing there in the middle of Beijing, and that's an isolating feeling. When you think, man, I don't, I don't know where to go. I don't know who to talk to. I don't know the route to get home or to get to where we were trying to go, and we just felt 
loss. I don't know if you ever had one of those moments where, where you were somewhere and you just had that kind of pit where you thought, but I am lost and I do not know where to turn. I don't know if you were in a new city and you kind of had that, you got turned around, you felt that way. Or maybe, maybe at a little bit deeper of a level, uh, you're trying to think through your future plans and you're just getting all wrapped up in it. And you just think, man, I'm lost. I don't know where to go. I don't know what steps to take. I don't know how to get through this. You've got a difficult relationship in your life and you're just thinking, man, I don't know how to navigate the situation. I don't know what steps to take. I don't know what's good. I don't know what's bad. Let me ask this. If we think of this as a funnel, let me bring it a little bit tighter let me ask you this, if in your Christian life, or maybe you're not a Christian, but you're kind of pursuing God or thinking about the things of God, but, but when you think of that kind of sphere, your Christian life, how many of you have felt lost? Where you've just felt isolated, you felt alone, you felt like, I don't know where to go, I don't know where to turn, I don't know how to get back to the good place I was, I don't know how to get forward to the place that I think God's taking me, and you just feel lost. You know, one of the things I've learned as a Christian uh, is oftentimes I would love if God would just reveal like a map of my life and just kind of give me, hey, take these steps. Like every day, just, hey, here's the three things you need to do. Here's the person you need to talk to. Here's the thing that I want from you. And, and you probably learned there ain't no map, right? Like that God doesn't just reveal this to us where every single day he just has everything preordained and laid out. And so that means that there's certain times in the Christian life where you get lost, where you feel alone, where you feel hurt. I think maybe the primary time that this happens for most of us, where we kind of get that sense of, man, I'm lost, I don't know where to turn, I don't know what God's asking of me, is in those moments where we feel uh, hurt the most, where we feel kind of broken down the most, where we feel the most overwhelming, where the big trial has come into life and you're trying to navigate through it and you just feel completely lost. I think that's the circumstance of Psalm 13. As we look at this psalm, it's a moment in David's life where he feels lost, he feels alone, he is suffering. He, you, we, we're going to sense this kind of deep depression in him. And he just doesn't know where to go. He doesn't know where to turn. He feels alone. And here's why, here's why I think Psalm 13 is just God's kindness to us this morning. Because what Psalm 13 does is it enters into that sphere that we're all going to face. And it says, here, here's a path. Here, here's kind of a road map. Here's a little bit of a, a journey that you can take. When you feel just kind of in a spiritual sense, just kind of lost and confused and alone and hurt, Psalm 13 enters in and say, hey, here's, here's the route that we need to take. Specifically, what I think we're going to see through Psalm 13 is a journey from pain to praise. That it's not going to be, the Christian life is not just without pain, so we're going to go through pain, but Psalm 13 wants to help give us the journey of how we can go from pain to Praise. Psalm 13 is going to be in a season of pain and move us into a posture of praise. Now, I said that very specifically because what Psalm 13 is not going to do is tell you how to get from a season of pain to just a season of comfort and ease and everything like that. It's going to move you not into different seasons, it's going to move you in different postures. And we can be Praising God even in the midst of pain. So that's where we're going. If you've got a Bible, open Psalm 13. Otherwise, we'll throw it on the screen 
And my prayer for us this morning is that if, if maybe as I'm saying this, you kind of feel that this morning, this week, this year, you're kind of in that season of just hurt and lostness and just kind of depression, uh, my prayer this week was that God would actually come in and meet you in a unique way this morning. That he would kind of meet you in that place and begin to move you. But if that's not you, if you're feeling like things are pretty good, it's summertime, you're out of school, things are good, here's what I want you to do. I want you to listen closely because what Psalm 13 is going to do is give you a path today for the suffering tomorrow. Okay, so if this isn't necessarily your season, don't just tune out because suffering is going to come. Like pain's going to come. The hardships in life are going to come. And if we can get that path today, it'll help you navigate the suffering tomorrow. So let's look at Psalm 13. Um, If you're looking at it in the Bible, it it breaks up really nicely in these two verse sections, if you see that. So verses one and two, uh, we're going to see David's protest in the midst of pain. And then verses three and four, we're going to see David's prayer in the midst of pain. And five and six, finally, David's going to come to a place of praise in the midst of pain. So let's look at the first two verses, and we're going to see David's protest. So Psalm 13, verses 1 and 2. David cries out, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Well, this morning we're finding David protesting the circumstances of his life to God. Now, I'm assuming you all kind of have an an idea in mind when I say protest, right? I mean, very simply, for us all to get a similar idea, uh, a protest is just an objection to a situation or a circumstance in your life. Uh, So over the last decade or so, I've had the uh, privilege of going down to a few southern states and seeing some of the most uh, historic protests, some of the places where the most historic protests have happened in our country. Like, I got to go to Little Rock and see the school where nine black students, in the midst of protests on both sides, got to go to school with white students for the first time. I got to stand on the bridge where there's an iconic photo of where uh, a group of protesters marched from Selma to Montgomery to go against this injustice that they were feeling. I got to, to see the hotel room where Martin Luther King was shot, when he was persistently protesting, being honest about the injustice that was going on to our fellow black citizens. You know, protests are are pretty common. They're they're people standing up for things that are wrong, situations that just don't seem right. It's people being honest about the brokenness that's happening around them. And while maybe that kind of makes sense, I would guess that for some of us, when I say that David is protesting here, that may sound kind of funny. Like it may sound weird that David, the man of God, is protesting to God his circumstance. You know, we see the, the agony of David. Like, do you just catch that in these first couple verses? He, he says four times the phrase, how long? He's crying out, God, how long do I have to endure this? How long am I going to have to suffer? How long is sorrow going to be my soul's emotion? You ever have a how long type moment? 
You know, I remember I, uh, one of those trips, I was flying back, and I was flying from Atlanta to, I think, Minneapolis. So it's like a two- or three-hour flight. Uh, and it, I don't know how to explain this other than right when we took off, like the moment we left uh, and went into the air, I got this, like, piercing headache. Like, I, I never had anything before or after like this. But the second we took off, I had this piercing headache. And I was taking ibuprofen. I was drinking caffeine. And it was, like, not helping. So I'm keeled over thinking, like, okay, this is it. Like, I literally don't know what to do. And I might be exaggerating a little bit. But it was bad. Like, I'm sitting there, and I'm just thinking, like, seconds feel like hours. And I'm, I'm like, internally crying out to God. Like, would you please stop this? Like, please use the ibuprofen, like spirit of God, do something miraculous. Like, I just, I need to get out of this pain. It was excruciating. And in some sense, I think that's David's emotion here. We see him just crying out to God in pain. God, how long do I have to do this? How long are you not going to answer me? How long is my sorrow going to continue. Look at the the verses with me. In verse 1, David, he cries out here, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Will you hide, how long will you hide your face from me? David is saying here that it seems as if God has abandoned him. He's suffering, he's in pain, and it feels like God has left, like he's turned his face. Now, Remember, the Psalms, David's not writing a, a theological position paper on the memory of God, okay? So, so don't be thinking, okay, well, does God forget us? No, what, what David is doing is, is he's expressing his emotions. He's expressing from his vantage point how he feels. One scholar said that you could translate this verse uh, that David is looking at God and saying, God, you are looking on me as if I were nothing. Think about the despair that would bring to say God it feels like you're looking on me as if I'm nothing like you don't care at all David's saying I feel like you've abandoned me and then verse 2 he goes on and he says look my enemies are exalted I'm alone sorrow fills my heart David is depressed he's suffering we're going to find out later that he might even be near the point of death Now, it may be a little bit different specifically, but my guess is we can all relate to the how long moments in life. The moments where you might feel like God is looking on you as if you were nothing. Like he's just left you alone. Like he sees your suffering and he's just kind of turned his face. Where maybe your life circumstances are preaching to your soul, God doesn't care about you. God has left you. God's not answering you. What we need to see from this is that the journey from pain to praise begins with a real honest protest of the circumstances and the brokenness in our life. And notice here, David's not protesting God, but he is protesting the pain in his life to God. And while that may sound funny, this should just be kind of, this should be kind of natural to us. That if God is good and holy and just, and he created us to be in a perfect relationship with him, then if our world is broken and there's pain and suffering, it's only right for us to say, God, this isn't right. This doesn't seem like this is the way it's supposed to be. This sin, this brokenness, this hurt, this sorrow, this doesn't seem like the way you intended it. David is just being honest with God. So let me, before we move on, let me bring this into our context, into our lives a little bit this morning. 
Because I think that when, I, when we look at these verses, I think there's really two types of people in the room that maybe this needs to kind of preach into us a little bit. So for the first, and I'll lump myself in this category, uh, for some of us, when we are kind of lost in life, we feel like we're suffering, there's pain, there's hurt, I think some of us have the tendency to believe that we can't really be honest with God about the suffering that we're feeling. You ever feel that? Like maybe some of us operate in this sense that the, the journey of pain to praise is really to just kind of ignore the pain, to, not, to ignore the emotions and just say, well, God's good. You know, God, God's got a plan. So somehow this is going to be good and this is going to work out. Like life's not too bad. And I think what Psalm 13 is trying to get at is to say to you, it's okay to be honest with God. Like, like David here, he's just crying out, saying, this is how I feel. These are the emotions that are happening. This is the suffering in my life. And I think for us, it's okay sometimes to cry out, God, how long? How long is this going to keep going? How long am I going to endure this? For us in the room, in this camp, we need to hear that the journey of pain to praise has to begin with us being really honest about the pain. Because if you just try to make it a facade, cover it up, and and not talk about it, you'll never deeply praise God because you'll always have that deep inside of you that you're just trying to cover up. Now, for the second side, um, let me just say, I know some of you in the room, and you got no problem being honest with God. Like you are blunt and you are real and you are raw and you let God know everything that you're feeling and you let others know everything that you're feeling. So for you, let me say one thing here. If that's you, you need to remember Psalm 13 does not end at verse two. Okay, it's great that you can be honest with God, but if you live your whole life in a verses one and two kind of environment, you'll never actually make the journey to praising God either. If you're just consistently telling God the things that are wrong, if you're consistently telling others the things that are going on in your life that you don't like, if you're consistently protesting without any journey or movement, you'll never get to praise either. The journey from pain to praise is in fact a journey. So good, be honest about the pain and then continue forward. Okay, so that's what we see here. And specifically, David's going to show us where he goes next, which is in the midst of that pain. He's honest about it, he protests it, and then he moves toward a season of prayer. So look at verses 3 and 4 with me as he transitions. Verse 3 and 4. He says, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. In the midst of feeling lost, suffering, depressed, David turns to his God in prayer. And I love just the the very simple kind of ask here. He's just very simple. He says at the beginning in verse 3, God, consider and answer me. Another way that you could translate that, he just asked God, see me. Just look at me. I imagine this week a, a child who maybe for just a matter of mere seconds uh, forgets that he doesn't have his parents' attention. And when he remembers, he gets angry or frustrated. And so he goes, he says, hey, dad, dad, hey, dad, dad, look at me. Dad, hey, respond to me, dad. 
I think that's kind of what David's doing. He's saying, God, I'm in pain. It looks like you're not paying attention to me. Just see me. Just look at me. This is a cry from a desperate man crying to the one person he knows that can help him. David turns to the Lord and simply asks him, hey, just see me. Just look at me. Just give me an answer. The journey from pain to praise has a crucial landmark, a crucial stop in desperate prayer. If you're going to make the journey from pain in the midst of, of, or protesting, being honest in the midst of pain, to actually praising God in the midst of pain, it has to go through real, genuine, desperate prayer. And if you get the emotion of the psalm, this, this ain't like a cliche, like I'll just be praying kind of prayer, right? This isn't the tweetable, like, hey, thoughts and prayers when a tragedy strikes. Like, this is a man who is deeply praying. He's genuine. He is laying out his heart, what he's angry about and what he wants from God. Just see me. Psalm 13, I think, puts prayer in the center of pain and praise because this kind of deep, genuine, desperate prayer it's the only way for a person who feels abandoned by God to in the next moment praise that very same God without his circumstances changing. You catch that, that? That this type of prayer, it's the only way that a person can go from feeling abandoned by God to praising that very same God in the next moment all while the pain never leaves. We're going to see that as this psalm unfolds. That the pain hasn't changed, but even in the midst of pain, David goes to God in prayer. Providence, we need to, uh, in some sense, not look for, not desire suffering, but we need to be ready for suffering. We need to know that our worship of God, our living a holy life, isn't predicated on our easy circumstances in life. If, if you think that maybe Christianity is just a consistent up and to the right, kind of a happy, simple life, uh, that's, not, that's not the case. And we see that. You see David here. He's a man who suffered. Look at Job in the Bible, a man who suffered deeply. He was righteous above all others, and he suffered. The prophets that we see throughout the Old Testament, they were men that were proclaiming the word of God, doing what God said, and they were consistently attacked, persecuted, and they suffered. Jesus himself, Isaiah said, is a man of sorrows. A man who hung on the cross and he was perfect. The apostles were men that were persecuted, that suffered, and that died for the faith. Every church figure that we can think of in history, that you think, man, they're a titan of the faith. I guarantee you they have a string of trials and suffering. And I would guess that most of us in the room, if you've been a Christian for any period of time, You've got a story where there was suffering, where there was hurt, where there was brokenness. We need to be honest that suffering is going to come. And if you're asking, okay, why? Like, why does God allow suffering? I think the Psalm 13 shows us that it is in this place of desperation where we actually most clearly see our need for him. God sometimes allows us to go through these things in order for us to be kind of brought to the end of ourselves so that we can find ourselves in him once again. There's a famous uh, New Testament critic, Bart Ehrman, uh, who said that suffering in the world is God's greatest problem. Like, you want to know why we can know God doesn't exist? 
Just look at suffering. There's no answer for it. Suffering is God's great problem. He wrote a whole book on why suffering is God's problem. C.S. Lewis, on the other hand, wrote that suffering is God's megaphone. It's what he uses to rouse a deaf world, he said, and to bring people back to himself. So I want us to consider for a moment when we are, if we get to a place where we're honest about our pain, where we're honest about our suffering, do you go to God in this type of desperate prayer? Like when you feel hurt, when you feel like God has abandoned you, do you run to him and simply ask God to see you, to be with you? Notice, David never prays that God would clear all the pain from him. He never prays that that God would uh, make his life super easy. He just prays, God, just see me. Just answer me. Just be with me. Just let me know that you are here. If Lewis is right, that suffering in your life may be what God is allowing in order to bring you back to himself. It may be the thing where God is stripping away anything else so that you would come to him. The journey from pain to praise must go through desperate prayer. Now, finally, let's look at verses 5 and 6. And as we are honest about our pain, as we lay that before the Lord in just desperate prayer, David's posture shifts here. Look at verse 5. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. We have no indication from this psalm that David's circumstances have changed. Like there's no relief from his enemies, no life-changing epiphany that's happening. Uh, David was simply honest about his circumstances, laid it before the Lord, and before his circumstances changed, his posture changed. He goes from a man saying, God, you have left me, to a man saying, God, you have dealt bountifully with me. I have trust in you. I'm going to sing to you. Now in these two verses, I think we see a couple things that uh, David praises God for. The first one comes in the first line. It says that I've trusted in your steadfast love. The second one at the, the end there, he says, you have dealt bountifully with me. So let me just note these two differences in what he's praising God for. First, when we see that line that he's praising God for steadfast love, David is praising God um, for a part of God's character, his love. Think about this. In the midst of pain, David praises God because he knows God. When his life circumstances are telling him one thing, he is reminding himself of another thing. He's reminding himself who this God is. Providence will never make that journey from pain to praise if we miss this key element. The praise of God doesn't come in the absence of pain Praise of God comes when you know the God that you are dealing with. That's why we worship. We don't worship God simply because all of our life is put together and nice. We worship God because he is high above even the suffering and the pain we're feeling. We worship God because he transcends the circumstances of our life. We worship God because he is worthy of our worship. The reason we worship in pain is because we know the God we're dealing with. And specifically, that, that phrase, steadfast love, uh, it's not just kind of an ethereal, God loves us, right? So God is, is love. It's actually a specific type of love that he mentions. 
The word in Hebrew, actually, uh, it talks about his covenantal love. It means that God has made a covenant with his people, a covenant, this kind of contract idea that he is with us, that he promises he's going to be faithful to us. And David's saying, I am banking on that type of love, that God promised to love me, that God is faithful, and therefore, even when I don't sense it, I can know that that is true. Another way to say that is it's God's loyal love. It's that he will be loyal and faithful to his people. And even when your circumstances don't say it, David is saying, I've trusted in that. I know that to be true. So for us, I think one thing we can take from this is when we are in this journey, when we're in the midst of feeling lost, in the midst of suffering, if we want to move through prayer and to actual praise, we have to know the God that we're dealing with. If you have a a kind of a a random hodgepodge view of God from different things that you've heard or thought of, um, it's going to be very hard for you to praise when your circumstances seem to show that he's not there. So here's one thing I want to encourage us in. If if you're in a season of pain and suffering, I want to encourage you, don't abandon the guide from this journey. Like, don't leave God just because your circumstances seem to show that. And I'll be real honest with you. Uh, I know for a lot of you, um, I know if I don't see you for about a month here, or if I don't uh, hear from you, or if you, you kind of quit going to your city group for a while, that, I, that almost guarantee that that means that something's going on in your life, that you're beginning to kind of pull away from God, that you're beginning to kind of pull away from community. And I'm not throwing stones. I get that. I feel that too, because in the midst of pain, our temptation is, well, if God's abandoning me, that I'm going to run from him. And what David's trying to get us here is to say, hey, know the God you're dealing with. Know that he hasn't abandoned you. Know that he is loyal to you. Know that he will be faithful through this. And so I want to encourage you to continue on, even if you feel like you're suffering, even if you feel like God's not speaking to you in the moment, continue through it. And if you're not in that season, can I tell you that this is the time where you need to be storing up as much information, as much experience, as much communion with God as you can? Because in those times, it is hard to to hear something about God and just feel amazed by him. And so what you need to do now is kind of store up nuts for winter. You know, like you gotta make some deposits now so that when you go through a season of pain, you've got those in you to say, I know that God is faithful. I don't see it, but I know it. So even in these seasons, if you feel like you're in, you don't feel that desperate need for God, uh, just continue on. Continue to read about him, learn about him, uh, commune with him, hear from him, because you're going to need that when those moments come. All right, second thing we see here in verse 6, uh, that he, it's not only that he knows God and who he is, but he also says here that he remembers that he has dealt bountifully with me. This means that David knows God, but he also remembers what he's done in the past. Okay, I don't know if anybody, you, I don't know if you've experienced kind of a a spiritual amnesia. Y'all know know amnesia, right? It's the idea that you kind of forget the memories of the past and all you can think about or remember is like right now and the things that are happening. Well, I think oftentimes when we suffer, we get a little bit of a case of spiritual amnesia. We begin to forget all the things that God has done and all we can see is the right now. We lose all memories of God before and we only see the suffering of today. And so a great spiritual discipline for times of suffering is the discipline of remembering what God has done for you. 
to, to think back. I know that may sound weird. Remembering doesn't seem like a famous spiritual discipline. But you'd be shocked that even in those moments, if you just begin to think back about the things God has done, ask your spouse, ask your friends, hey, can you remind me right now? It's difficult for me. Remind me about what God has done in our lives. Remind me how God has used me, how God has spoken to me, how God has worked in me. In those times of suffering, we need to know God, but we can also remember all the times that he has answered you, that he has been with you, that he has saved you, that he has led you. God may allow you to go through a season of pain and suffering, but David shows us that the way, after we desperately pray for him, the way that we can praise him is to know him and know what he's done in our life. So let me wrap this up like this. Let me just give you kind of a personal story of of how this kind of played out recently in my life. So um, a couple months ago, I think I've talked about this a little bit before. Uh, A couple months ago, I was in just kind of a weird season, uh, kind of a dry season spiritually, also just a fairly discouraging season. And so uh, there was one specific day where I think just for a couple weeks, I had been feeling like a failure. I felt like a bad pastor, a bad husband, a bad friend. I was just kind of all mixed up inside. And and I just felt this kind of guilt and shame and overwhelmed. And so there was a a day where Jared and I, uh, we met with somebody and he's like, hey, I'm leaving the church. And I was like, okay, that's discouraging too. Uh, On top of all this. And then we sit and talk and we're like, we don't know what we're doing. We don't know how this is going to work. And uh, so he had left and I was alone by myself. And and I just began to experience a Psalm 13, one through four kind of moment. I had this kind of like, it was a mix between these outbursts of, God, I'm angry. Like, this isn't what I thought this was going to be. And then it kind of transitioned into a time of silence and just, God, I just need you to speak to me. And I said, God, I, I feel ashamed of these things. I feel guilty for these things. God, I just need you to forgive me. God, I feel discouraged. I feel like you've kind of let me down here. God, I just need to know you're here with me. Right, there's kind of this bouncing back and forth of being really honest, of me being angry, guilty, ashamed, afraid, and then just simply asking, Lord, would you just speak to me? Would you just be here with me? Would you just let me know that I'm not in this alone? And for me, here's how I landed in verses 5 and 6. You know, David here, he reminds himself of the covenantal love of God, that God has made a covenant with him. So for us uh, today that idea can be true uh, even today for us. You know, in that moment, I reflected back on uh, a night before Jesus was betrayed and died. Uh, he sat down to this last supper, we call it. And he sat there with his disciples and he took some bread and he took some juice or some wine actually and he uh, passed this around and he said, guys, this is gonna symbolize a new covenant that I'm making with you. An even better covenant than the one that David had. I am going to make a covenant that through my death, through my bloodshed, my body torn, being put in the grave, I am going to promise that I will always be with you. I'm going to promise you that I will never leave you. I'm going to promise you that I'm going to send my spirit inside of you. If you want to feel close to me, I'm going to send my spirit in you. You're going to be united with me forever. I'm never going to leave you. Today, we can trust the covenant of God if we put our trust in Christ. It's how we can know, verse 5, and say, I'm going to trust God's steadfast love. I'm going to trust his loyal love. We can know that because of what Christ did 2,000 years ago. 
That in that moment, when I feel alone, I can look back to that and say, I know Jesus made a covenant to be with me. When I feel ashamed and I feel guilty, I can look back and say, I know that Jesus paid the penalty for that. When I feel abandoned or when I feel like I don't know where to go, I can look back and say, I know Jesus promised to have his spirit inside of me, guiding me through this. And then from there, I can look back and I can see uh, verse six where God says uh, that he's dealt bountifully with David. I can look back and think, man, God, you have dealt bountifully with me. Not only did you send your son for me, not only did you save me, not only did you take away my sin and shame and guilt, but you've just blessed me beyond belief. You've given me an amazing wife and child. You've blessed me uh, with people at all the right times in life to encourage me, to be with me. You've given me an amazing church to be a part of and to love and to serve. You've given me uh, your guidance. You've always, always answered when I have felt desperate. I got to remember all the things that God has done And when I still felt discouraged and when I still felt alone, I could sit in the office that day and just praise God because I am his and he is mine. We have to, if we want to move from pain to praise, we have to be honest about where we're at. We have to lay that in a desperate posture before the Lord. And we've got to remind ourselves of his love. Remind yourself that Jesus has made a covenant with you, that you've trusted in him and he has dealt bountifully with you, And if the gospel of Jesus is that for you, if these are treasure, then no matter what's going on in life, you can praise in the midst of pain. Let me pray. Father, God, I thank you that you sent your son for us, that you're the same God of, uh, of David, that you're the God of us, of Providence Church, of us individually, that, that you sent your son to be with us, to guide us, to lead us, to die for us, and to rise again to victory that we get to share in. God, I pray right now for all of us in the room, would you help us? Spirit, would you speak to us? I pray specifically for anyone in the room who is crying out, who maybe has been crying out, how long, O Lord? How long must I suffer? How long do I endure this? How long are you going to let this go on? I pray that right now, this morning, your spirit would remind them that you are with them, that you love them, that you haven't left them, you haven't forgotten them, you haven't hid your face from them. God, I pray that even more so they would place their trust in you, that this morning would kind of reawaken a faith in you, that they would trust you even in the midst of this. God, I pray that you would use this for us to to help counsel others to, to one another that are feeling that, that you would help us to encourage, to remember all the things that God has done. Would you speak to us now?